Money FM 89.3, best of drive time. Regional Roundup. Money FM 89.3. Good afternoon. It is drive time. Ellie Danka, Timothy Go, and Chua Tiantian with you. Time now for our regional roundup, looking at headlines from around Southeast Asia. Yes, that's what we're doing today. And we are talking to Nicholas Fung, Managing Director, Black Dot, and Director for Security and Global Affairs at the Institute of International Affairs in Singapore. Well, from Najib to Indonesia, in Malaysia, uh, in Indonesia, rather, and uh, trial runs for the first high speed trains there. What's happening in the region? Nicholas, good afternoon. How are you doing? Good afternoon. I'm good with the EPL season done and dusted. I guess, you know, the regional political, political (laughs) situation is going to keep us entertained for quite a while. Entertain, interesting choice of words, especially when we're looking at this first issue, Omno Pressing for Malaysia's former Prime Minister Najib Razak's release. Okay, Uh, safe to say this is a bit of a dilemma for Malaysia at the rate things are going. Is there any likelihood that he's going to get some kind of, uh, I mean, the only way to look at this is a, a royal pardon, right? Yeah, it's, it's his only way uh, out of prison is the pardon potential solution. And, you know, it's making headlines now because there is a pro-UMNO faction within UMNO, which is part of the ruling coalition under Prime Minister Anwar. And uh, we are seeing pressure coming from that faction to see if they can push the entire coalition to support you know, a bid for the royal pardon for Najib. Now, of course, it's a highly sensitive issue. We all know the history and background of the 1MDB scandal. There is obviously a huge fallout and, and a lot of issues surrounding corruption. Mm-hmm. And of course, Najib was sort of uh, caught up in the entire web. Now, it's for a royal pardon to come right now. I think most observers say it's probably too soon. The system and the process that they have creates the potential for a pardon, but it's usually after what they deem a suitable amount of the sentence having been served. And of course, you know, he went in in last August, so it's it's, uh, barely been a year. Now, that does not mean to say that the pressure and the calls and petitions for him to be pardoned will not build over time. Uh, Mr. Najib still, you know, retains impressively quite a significant amount of support on the ground in Malaysia. Uh, And there are obviously factions within his party who believe that he could be useful, you know, if he came out to sort of be an influential figure within the party again. The downsides, obviously, if there were to be such a, a pardon, there would be a lot of concerns over how seriously Malaysia as a whole is taking these issues of corruption. When a convicted person, quite serious charges yeah. could just come out, you know, in, in a short period of time. At the same time, more seriously, the investor confidence in Malay's judicial system might potentially be weakened as well mm. if Najib was to be pardoned very quickly. Yeah. So what is quickly? You know, obviously to Mr. Najib, I think two to three years sounds like a long time. But for most people, that mm. seems to be a reasonable amount of time mm. that he should serve before a pardon is on the cards. Well, uh, Nick, politically, though, is Anwar risking fracturing his unity government as well with that uneasy alliance with rivals and with UMNO? Oh, definitely. I think it's one of the reasons why President Anwar right now, uh, Prime Minister Anwar, sorry, is, is taking a very cautious stance. He has maintained very neutral comments when it comes to this particular issue. Uh, and he has promised a due process to be followed, um, which seems to have assuaged the more vocal parties within UMNO. Uh, but, you know, beyond just the, the sort of fracture within uh, the coalition, interestingly, it points to the sort of uh, unsettled and very restive internal dynamics within UMNO itself. You have the pro-Najib faction, who is becoming, as we have heard, you know, quite vocal. At the same, same time, you have 
AMNO President Ahmad Zahir Hamidi, who has consolidated his position uh, within the party following the recent Congress, mm. and who is also Deputy Premier in Prime Minister Anwar's cabinet. Mm. So, you know, how would that play out between this sort of supporters as well as those who are quite significantly still under Najib's influence uh, among the party's rank and file, that is going to be an interesting to watch play out, much less the sort of national concerns and, and how Prime Minister Anwar is actually going to handle this whole situation. How will that play into his bid to retain key states, including Selangor? We understand there are state assembly elections in six Malaysian states. That should take place uh, in the month of July. Uh, where do you see this going? Wow, that's a good question. And I think that this is going to be PM Anwar's first real stern test since his successful ascension to the top post. And I think most experts in Malaysia would say that state elections are, are pretty interesting because mm. based on historical track records, they tend to mirror a little bit uh, not just the state concerns, but also the national issues that are capturing people's imaginations. So, you know, you will have people talking about, as we know, the situation in Penang, Kedah, Kelantan, Trengganu, Selangor and Negeri Sembilan. The elections, as you say, could be, you know, sometime in July. I think the exact dates we're still waiting to see what comes out uh, in terms of the specific periods of the elections. But, you know, state and national issues tend to be blended together. And then you will start to see bread and butter policies, the state of the economy, how inflation is being managed, and the rising cost of living and job security coming up as the key issues that people will be uh, keeping in mind. So when you have a broad issue, you know, that is quite presumably at quite a high level when you talk about the pardon of Najib, it will be blended together with some of these other issues. And it will be a key referendum on how Mr. Anwar's you know, policies and reforms are being viewed. You know, I think he's done some interesting stuff when it comes to ensuring more transparent procurement contracts, controlling food prices, uh, and also repealing the mandatory death penalty and decriminalization of suicide. So that's quite ahead on at a sort of a macro level. His administration has been moving quite slowly on austerity measures to reduce debt and expenditure. And they're talking about restructuring the entire subsidy framework, right? So they move away from blanket subsidies like the petrol electricity tariffs to a more targeted scheme for middle and low income families. At the same time, you know, Mr. Anwar has been championing some interesting uh, concepts. This Malaysia Madani slogan, for example, a more civilized Malaysia, uh, which focuses on good governance, sustainable development and racial harmony. It stands to be seen whether this appeals with a broad base on the ground. Obviously, he's trying to target the younger demographic going forward because the voting age, you know, in 2019 was lowered from 21 to 18. So he's, he's going around, he's meeting with students, he's been calling it a meet with Anwar tour across the country to try to, to uh, reach out to the ground. So I think it remains to be seen whether that kind of touch that he's deploying at the ground level in Malaysia will resonate with voters uh, come these state elections in just a few short weeks, I think. All right, Nick, let's move on to Thailand now. Uh, The parliament will be meeting on July 3rd, and that means they will be voting for the new prime minister as well. Uh, Pita Rimjaronrat says that he has enough support from the upper house to become the country's next prime minister. Is he going to be? Wow, that, that situation again. The reason why I said at the start that you know we'll be entertained, I, I didn't mean that in a flippant way, but the situations are so complex around the region that uh, there's so many permutations that we can be thinking about right now. So Kumpita, obviously, as a leader of the Progressive Move Forward Party, 
does seem to be very bullish, very confident. You know, he says that he has enough uh, support within the Senate to become Prime Minister. Uh, his eight-party alliance has 312 seats in Parliament, but constitutionally, he needs at least 376 votes in a joint sitting of the bicameral legislature, so two houses, upper and lower house. Now, if you remember the upper house, it has 250 members, but most of whom were chosen by the military when mm-hmm. it took power in 2014, and quite conservative. So I'm not sure how you know they were going to get behind Pita, especially as he's uh, taking aim at the less measure state law, you know, his party has put forward a very controversial proposal to amend the royal insult law, which it says is, you know, used as a political tool against opponents of the government. So it's pretty, pretty uh, dicey. I think it's quite divisive, uh, even among his uh, political alliance. So, you know, does he have enough support within the Senate? Is he a bit of a divisive figure? That, of course, opens the door for the Pertai Opposition Party, which won the second largest number of seats, might actually end up being in a strategic position to install its its candidate into the uh, into the country's top job. So we're looking at not just whether Mr. Pita is going to be successful or not, but the rise of Pertai and the potential for it to play on game, which could see you know a number of candidates. Right there is obviously uh, Petong Tan Shinawat, the daughter of uh, former Premier Taksin, real estate tycoon Shasta uh, Tavisin, or even the former Attorney General Chai Kesem Itisiri. So you know it's it's a little bit unclear. I think Pita would like everyone to believe that he's in the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you, I'm sure you guys remember as well, there's some uncertainty about his eligibility even to be an MP mm. because there's an ongoing allegation that he possessed shares in ITV since March 2007. That's okay. a dormant television company. The constitution says that anybody who holds shares in media companies can't even serve as an MP. Mm. So, so Peter could even be disqualified on that ground, you know, without even thinking about the more complex situation uh, when it comes to taking over the prime ministership of the country. So it's going to be uh, interesting to see how all these factors play out going ahead. All right, we've been speaking with Nicholas Fung, Managing Director, Black Dot, and Director for Security and Global Affairs, Singapore Institute of International Affairs. Nick, as always, we appreciate your time. You take care and uh, have a great public holiday ahead, yeah? Catch you guys soon. Take it easy. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.